Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. Drop the four and keep the two. We have a brand new season of Survivor to recap. It premiered this week. We're a little late. I had a lot of people in my DMs asking where our (laughs) recap was. Look, this is a free product. Uh, You'll get it when you get it. (laughs) We're on different coasts this week. So (laughs) yeah, we didn't didn't, uh, have our schedules aligned for a Thursday recap. I think that will be the plan moving forward. But sometimes it might be on Friday. Uh, and that's okay. So, Evan, you are on the West Coast. And you know what? Sometimes the waiting game is worth it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Let's not make any promises. <laughs> yes, I am on the West Coast. I'm coming to you live from the sunny, I was going to say hills of California, but I'm in downtown. So, less hills, more flat. Jealous. Very jealous of that. Evan, what's going on with you? I have to say, I just got a notice in my inbox that. My copy of Into Every Generation is scheduled for delivery this week, next week. I can't wait. I know you've been very busy with this book. Tell me what's going on. Well, it's funny you say that because I got a message from a German uh, follower this morning being like, my copy arrived. And I'm like, hmm, the book's not out Mm. yet. That's very strange. But um, hey, if you have it, you have it. Um, Yes, um, I'm here in LA doing a bunch of book promo stuff. Um, Tonight, I'm actually attending um, a talk at Torrance High School, which is the high school where Buffy took place, where I'm doing like a book signing. And then tomorrow night, yeah, they're they're recreating the Buffy prom tomorrow night at the high school. They yeah, are in not. honor of the 25th anniversary. Yep, I know. Oh my God. Yeah. So wow. I'm here Iconic. for that. Book comes out Tuesday. If you haven't already pre-ordered, the links are all present in my Instagram bio. I would love a pre-order, but if you want to buy a day of, that's also great. And I just want to, last thing I'll say is I just want to encourage people to buy through local bookstores as opposed to through Jeff Bezos. Now, Evan, I have a bone to pick with you. Uh-oh. Why does Ozzy have a copy of this book already and I don't? That's a great question. <laughs> so I had to make a media influencer list and I was thinking of which survivors to send a copy to. And so it landed with Parvati mm-hmm. and Ozzy. Those were the two that made the cut. But you know what? In retrospect, Sean, mistakes were made. Next time. Next time. You don't have one. Angelina doesn't have one. I, hey, I'm happy to have something to look forward to. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Well, let's talk about Survivor because we have a brand new season that has just premiered. It's a little late for a spring premiere. I know, Evan, I think you've been feeling like it's a little too soon, but actually it's a little late. Uh, This is your first time watching. I mean, 41 was your first time watching in real time. 42 is your first time sort of getting the follow up in real time. So I'm very curious to hear your high-level thoughts on this season premiere and sort of like the lead-up to it. How are you feeling about Survivor 42 at this point? 
Well, I do just want to say that I really was expecting coming out of quarantine and, and you know, I don't want to say post-pandemic. I know the pandemic continues to rage on, but, you know, we're at a, we're at a better place than we were uh, several months ago. I expected that Survivor was really going to have like a, a rebranding in a big way. I think all the people that discovered it, like myself during quarantine, I expected the numbers to shoot up. And I think I realized pretty quickly with 41 that that was not going to be the case. Um, and I also thought because of the Netflix acquisition of certain seasons that they had found a, a big new audience. But that audience, I I think I'm in the minority. I thought that I was one of many, but I, I don't think that it had sort of like the um, reboot, if you will, that I thought it was going to have in terms of audience interest. So with that in mind, 42 now lacks the momentum that 41 had, and I think 41 was lacking the momentum I expected it to have. So there definitely is a little bit of a feeling of, okay, we're doing this all over again. And I think that, and, and Sean, I hope I'm not stealing what you're about to say. So stop me if I am. But I just no, think that please. with 41. It's just funny. It's funny to, to me because it's like, I, I've been, this has been the last 20 years of my life. Exactly what you're describing. And now you're, just, you're, you're experiencing this for the first time. But please continue. Right. And so I think, and, and you had said this to me in a voice memo that you and I exchanged, but like with 41, it was like the first season back after Winners at War, and they were able to sort of, you know, uh, brand it as like this new era of Survivor. And now you have 42, which is not only uh, no longer adopting any sort of theme within the name, a la a David versus Goliath, um, but is essentially filmed back to back with 41, so can't really react in any way to 41 and has to sort of share the format with a few tweaks that were made, but those tweaks that were made were production related, like production noticing things and not in response to audience feedback. And so what you have here is sort of like a, a season that sort of feels like it's lacking any sort of like edge, like it's lacking a thing to sort of push it out as, and being that we're now using just numerical season numbers as the, you know, what they're pushing out the season as, this is just Survivor 42, which is essentially Survivor 41.2, or point mm -hmm. 1.0, whatever, whatever they do. It's like essentially 41 the redux. So yeah. it feels a little bit like we're doing this all over again, drop the four, keep the two, as you said. So I think that was one thing I observed just in the outset was sort of like, I wanted there to be some element of it that's like a major switch up or a, a, some sort of overarching theme that we're exploring. And instead it felt like a little bit of a retread. How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel very similarly. I think that this one has been tricky because with it's it's hard because I have said for many years, get rid of the themes. They're so stupid or stop doing these stupid themes. But now with 42 and the marketing push that led up to it, I just was very disengaged with that. And I felt like there really wasn't much to grab onto. And even the little clips that they put out in advance of 42 of Jeff talking about the season, which which he does also in the intro to the episode, where he says, you know, oh, we film back to back, so they haven't seen the previous season. And so we're just going to like give them all the same twists, but change some variables, which actually make them different twists. 
Uh, but we're going to see how they respond and whether they respond in the same way as 41 or in a different way than 41. And it's like, that's not new. We have been doing this for many, many years now. We've been filming back to back. The previous season didn't see the current season. Often twists get carried over. So this concept is not new. And, and for them to lean on that as the crutch of like why to watch this season, I think is a little I don't know. It's it's a lackluster and it just didn't give me enough to pull me in. Essentially what they're doing, I think, or what they have to do is rely on their cast for a good season, right? So there's nothing gimmicky about it. I mean, there's plenty of gimmicks involved, but there's nothing gimmicky in the promotion of the show. And so what else is there? There's the cast. Now, I love that concept because that's what we loved about seasons sort of like one to 10 before things started getting really twist heavy. And I think if we've got a good cast, it's going to be great. The problem with this is that it takes time to get to know the cast. And so with a premiere, like the one that we saw, there's definitely some promising elements in terms of the dynamics and how the cast gets along together and how they won't get along together. And there's interesting social, social dynamics that are at play. But those are only going to pay off after a few episodes. And so I'm left feeling, I th- I feel like in the minority in saying this, because I've seen that the response online has been like very positive towards this premiere. Um, but I'm feeling a little underwhelmed by it overall. And I don't know if it's the lack of theme. I don't know if it's just like a little bit of fatigue or, or what it is, but uh, I'm re- I'm willing and ready to eat crow on this, but I'm I'm underwhelmed. Well, I think it's also worth pointing out that because of the filming back to back, it there are certain moments and, and aspects of 41 that did not work that we're now having to see play out once again. Specifically, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about the shot in the dark, which like absolutely was a mm-hmm. huge dud, and we now have to do it all over again. Or just like little details, like when the three women were making the journey up that mountain and there's that giant um, plank, or not plank, that that uh, wooden stage, if you will, the top of yeah. the mountain, and they get to the top and it's like, what is that for? And then they all were supposed to separate and then all of a sudden the one woman's back at the beach. Her When she was opening her clue, yeah. there was water in front of her. So they literally walked up to the top of the mountain for God knows what reason. And then she, if not all of them, walked all the way back down. So there are just yeah. certain elements like that that sort of we are forced to replay. And I'm, I think that's going to happen again. Like I have to wonder, Erica's um, breaking the, what, what was it? Breaking the what? Hourglass. Yeah. Like if, yeah. And it's like, you know how that was received by fans or even like with the Deshaun, the, the kill vote or whatever, or the, uh, is he killed? Uh, Um, Yeah. The the, do or die. (laughs) I know do or die. It's so hard to remember these terms, things like that, that were not well received by the fandom. We're going to have to see play out once again. And that sort of worries me and makes me a lot more excited for 43 than I am for 42. But I will say working on the pro side, there were a lot more characters in this premiere that I immediately latched onto than with 41. I thought there was more dynamism Mm. amongst this cast. And I'm thinking, for instance, about last season, and I, I, you know, Brad and Jeannie come to mind as just, in my mind, and I, I know some will feel differently, I think those were casting mistakes in my mind. I just don't think they had anything to really bring to the season. 
And there weren't, there wasn't anyone I would say within this cast that immediately stood out for me as a mistake, which I think is, mm-hmm. you know, again, maybe the bar is a little low here, but I definitely think that there were moments that stood out to me in the premiere. There were some definite funny moments, but the but the thing that made me know from the outset that like I I was a little not here for it was just bringing them in on the boat and having them land at the beach, no marooning. And that's happened before. They've done seasons where they just come in by boat, but it was odd to me being that they made such a to-do of it in 41. Um, and to, you know, remember they like we, we, we zoomed out and they showed the production crew and everything, which you and I thought was maybe mm-hmm. going to be this new element of the show. And then with 42, it's just kind of like, the boats come in, you're here on the beach. And so in that sense, I couldn't help but feel like there was something about this this premiere that felt more like a Survivor reboot than a new season of Survivor. Mm. Yeah, I actually was a little disappointed that we didn't really get the breaking of the fourth wall in terms of seeing the production because I really enjoyed that from 41. I think that's a decision that they made in between seasons that they were going to do less of that. I think less of Jeff talking to the camera, which I'm okay with, but also maybe less of the behind the scenes shots. Uh, I mean, we got the one when Daniel's shoulder was dislocated, right? but it seemed like that was an anomaly. And I actually really, really enjoyed that. Um, So uh, I hope that's not gone forever, but that was something that I did enjoy from 41 that I would love to see continue on into future seasons. But the marooning, you're right. I do wish that we sort of went back to the basics on that. I don't need to see a challenge straight out the gate for Flint. Like that's not that interesting to me um, because I don't know these people and I have no stake in who's winning or losing. I literally don't even know all their names yet. You know what I mean? Right. But I think there's something fun, too, in the marooning of, like, immediately from the outset, everyone has to do something together before there's any chat. And I think that that bonds people from the outset and helps give everyone sort of a sense of who's who so that when Jeff finally arrives to do, like, the let's chat, we've all sort of gotten a first feel of people, Mm -hmm. whereas this first feel of people is purely based on aesthetics, right? Like, no one's spoken, no one's Mm -hmm. done anything. So I think there's something fun about just like, you've landed here, go. And so I don't like the sort of like talking. And then one other thing is, and I think this is one of the ways in which I think the show is the most fatigued, whereas hearing people talk about why they're playing the game, you know, we're, have have there been thousands of castaways at this point? Are we still in the hundreds? I think we're still in the Sorry to put you on the spot. Okay, but we've we've had a lot of people play this game And I just think we're at a point now where every story of why you're here is starting to feel recycled. We've done, it feels like Uh every iteration of why you're here to play. And I find that when the show, and, and the show is increasingly doing this more and more, the more meta the show tries to be about, I grew up watching this game, or I wanna show people at home that they can blah, blah, blah. I think it's giving a grandiosity to the show that, It's like the show's, it's a reality television show. And I agree. It's the greatest social game experiment on earth. Like I'm aligned. I love this game. But sometimes the way it's sort of um, like mythologized by the players that Mm -hmm. are currently playing the game, I think actually has the inverse reaction for someone like me. And I'm kind of like, you spent your, and this is going to sound very judgmental. I'm sorry, listener. But you spent your whole life, like this is what you're working your whole life to do. I think that there are, 
better aspirations to have in life. And I don't know, again, coming out of my mouth, I hear the way that sounds, but there's something about it. I'm just being honest to me where it's kind of like, you dreamed of like, yes, I too, like I, I get it. I would love to play this game, but my, but my life goal, I have, I have better life goals. And some of them are as simple as like marrying my partner. But like, I think that people give, uh, I've noticed that a lot of these players, they give this show a, a power over them that I find, I guess I'll use the word surprising. Well, I That's think it's bitchy. disingenuous. That's I don't, it, it I don't think that it's I don't think it's real. I think that they're coaching them in confessionals to talk about the show right. in that way. And I, I think about Daniel telling the story about having childhood leukemia and having to tie that back to the show, which is clearly a production decision to have them talk about why then Survivor is it's so impressive that he's playing Survivor and how he's like doing it for other kids who are maybe in the hospital and have the same dream and it's like these kids aren't dreaming about being on Survivor like let's be real they're dreaming of getting out of the hospital like that we don't need to make this about Survivor it's not about you right now um, so it's just like we don't it doesn't always have to be that you know Marianne's doing it for the weird people like we've had weird people on the show okay exactly like, know. exactly and and yes, it, this is not revolutionary. We can just play this game because we because we love the show and we've always wanted to play the game, but it's not the end of our lives. And also, let me find you weird instead of you telling me that you're weird. I think mm -hmm. that's another huge issue that I have with so much of the storytelling these days, um, where it's a lot of uh, hand-holding. And I think that maybe is correlated to Jeff's comments in 41 about like the importance of the like kid viewers. And in that sense, I feel like, you know, I go back again, I'm thinking about like Christy and Amazon, who never got on the screen and was like, I'm playing for all the other deaf people out there. She was playing for herself. She wasn't like representing any kind of community. And I'm getting ahead of myself here, but um, what is the trans guy's name? I apologize. Uh, Jackson. 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 I, I found Jackson's story and, and a little reductive in 2022 to, I don't know, I think that like there are trans people everywhere and there are trans people on reality television and they've been on reality television for years. And there's a way in which this show sometimes it makes me feel like I'm living in a parallel universe where Survivor's idea of diversifying its pool is somehow like, um, you know, really like uh, ahead of the curve here. And I am kind of just... I don't know. The whole time, I, I there were several moments where I was like, "We've done this before, and we've done it less saccharine. Like we've done it with just more genuineness." And so that definitely mm -hmm. struck me about a lot of the conversations that were being had. But I'm glad you brought up the Marianne with the here for the weird people. <laughs> just like I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. It was, and I didn't find her was, that weird. Uh, uh, it was a Lady Gaga impression. It was like, yes. I'm weird. You're weird. We're all weird. Let's be weird together. Pause up. Okay. We'll get to the Jackson stuff. I have lots to say about that because I, I think also, well, I guess I'm just going to go there. I, <laughs> there were so many clip packages from, the players oh talking about their lives and where they come from, like so many. I know we started getting that in 41 and they sprinkled them in here and there, but it really felt like we got a lot of people's backstory in this premiere episode. And maybe it's because we had a lot of time. I think either way, two people were going to go home, but because Jackson got pulled, we uh, sort of like saved time by not having a second tribal. And so there was plenty of time to have backstory clip packages. And I just feel like, I have come to feel that they are not good for the show. 
because I, I really liked the idea last season. I really love when they do it in Australian Survivor. I think it's done because it's so like grandiose and kind of camp in Australian Survivor. But here it's literally pictures. Like they went on Facebook and grabbed pic- profile pictures of people and then they put a filter on it and then they overlay a, 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 a confessional. And so I feel like it's just like a little lazy and I would rather get to know this person by seeing how they interact with other people than have to hear their autobiography read to me. Without a doubt. And I feel like too often they are trying to make their story digestible and bite-sized because that's how, you know, story editing works. I understand, but too often they're forced to sort of be like, this is the leukemia survivor and this is the trans man. And I think what I was bothered by, and, and I'm not sure how much of this is production's fault versus the player's fault. And I'm not even sure fault is the word, but for instance, I compare. I'm gonna I'm gonna put, compare Jackson and Zeke here only because they're the two trans out trans contestants that have played in this game. And one thing I've always been so magnetized about Zeke was that Zeke had so much dynamism. I love that word today. Apparently, about who he is that wasn't embedded in his transness. Um, and again, I don't want to say that like a, a person, any minority, shouldn't be able to come on the show and lead with the fact that that's who they are, if that's how they want to sort of come into the game. But I just have to say, on a show that has had limited trans contestants on it, to have their second one here and to make the the one thing that they they do on night one talk all about the fact that they are trans to me felt a little bit like a casting mistake um, in that I just want someone that's like kind of uh, more here to play the game who just so happens to be trans. I think that the show does a lot of underlining of people's identities in a way that I think is a little retrograde. And what's funny is their effort is completely other. And I think there is that dissonance there, right? Between like the intention in their mind, they're like, they're casting this older trans man. He's auditioned before in the past. Isn't it so exciting that he's finally here? You know, there's all these elements that they think that they're checking off a box and one that they have not often checked. And yet I'm kind of like, I'm all for trans contestants on the show. Give me an all trans season even. But like this this particular casting to me was not what I was hoping for, especially in 2022. Yeah, I agree. I, like, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of sentiment online about how powerful Jackson's story was and how a lot, and frankly, this is from like a lot of cis straight people, I will say. And so in that respect, maybe it did achieve something for these people who are not exposed to trans people and trans stories. But I do think that there's a better way to do it. And I think you outlined that perfectly because it felt a little bit to me like I've heard this story a hundred times. This is not new. It's new for Survivor. And they shouldn't, they should be embarrassed about that. They shouldn't be like thrilled about that because it's 2022. We are on season 42. And this is the first time we're hearing the story. Now, like, look at the way that Zeke played. Zeke played an entire season uh, where nobody even knew that he was trans. It was not an important part of his story. Um, Certainly, it's an important part of his identity, but it wasn't uh, uh, an important part of his identity in the game. But that's what you just separated out, the the difference between identity and story. Yeah. And when we found out, it was like that that changed minds, I think, for various reasons. And a lot of it is because of sort of like bigoted prejudice, etc. But but it 
it achieved changing some minds, I think, um, where this is like, okay, now we're going to sit you down and give you the clip package and go into like kind of almost, I don't know. I, f- I find it uncomfortable to have to hear some of these stories sometimes. And I'm not talking about trans stories. I'm talking about like my mother was on her deathbed. Like, I don't need to hear that on Survivor. That's This is a game. I don't need to feel invested. This is not the voice. This is not America's Got Talent. I don't need the sob story to feel invested in them because the reason that those shows do that is because they want you to become invested somebody in the span of three minutes. We have an entire season with these people. I mean, maybe not with Jackson, but typically we should be anticipating that we could have many episodes with these people to get to know them better. And so to try to force us to have an emotional investment by sort of laying out just trauma porn, I feel like is a big turnoff for me. Which is why last season, I really liked Erica's clip package, which came at the merge. Of course, we hadn't seen Erica a whole lot early in the season, but it came at the merge. And it was like kind of a normal story. It was just about how her parents immigrated to Canada to give their kids a better life. And it was like, um, I'm just like, it was like, I'm a normal person. This is what a Canadian looks like. And I really, really appreciated that. Right. And I feel like we're I not do just want to mention real season, quick because everybody's got an incredible story. Agreed. I do want to mention real Sorry? quick. We do have some kind of delay on the Riverside, which is why we keep overlapping a bit, just so we people do. Because we're usually really good about not cutting each other off. Um, but I want to add to one and other also, thing to the Jackson. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and also, I'm going to do my best to eliminate this. But if it sounds like I'm recording live from the pound, it's because there are dogs screaming next door. So. Disclaimer. Go ahead. Um, One other thing about the Jackson thing that I wanted to mention was I just thought, again, I'm going to use the word retrograde, to have him come in and the first night introduce, uh, or excuse me, uh, tell the his tribe that he, quote, used to be a woman. I just thought that sort of framework, and listen, that's his story to tell. And if that's how he feels about his journey, that's obviously his prerogative. But when you have a show that's only other uh, only ever had one other out trans contestant and has an audience of that is predominantly cisgender people in middle america who have often not been exposed to a trans person or or known that they've been exposed to a trans person i think it's really important how you frame these stories again i don't think it's an obligation that cbs has but i do think it's something they need to be mindful of and i think to have someone on there and even showing the before picture air quotes before picture and again that's his prerogative. He provided them that picture. He was telling his story the way he wanted to tell it. But I have to be honest with you, that was a little bit of a red flag for me in the sense that I don't think we need to perpetuate this idea to this audience that trans people have a before or after. I just think it's sort of like, again, that framework for me that I wish they were more sensitive to and perhaps had more trans people on the staff or or had even like, uh, I don't want to say like been in conversation with Glad because that's not like the be all end all here. But I just think that that to me like signified the fact that they just weren't quite ready to take on this conversation. And again, it's like maybe it's like what I'm trying to say is it doesn't even need to be a conversation. And the fact that we're doing it as a conversation, I just I don't know. It, it was just again, like it just it felt like I was like, what year are we in here? Yeah, I agree. And it felt like 
considering that Jackson is pulled on like what, day two or something, day three, maybe the whole thing in retrospect feels very exploitative to me. Yes. Uh, that they wanted to tell this story. And then in the way they told it, I it's, I'm not the most comfortable with it. As you say, this is his story to tell. And I, I guess he's happy with how it was told, but it's not how we're used to these stories being told. So uh, it all felt a little uncomfortable to me, especially sort of given how he was exited from the game. Should we get into our recap? Because <laughs> Let's. we've touched on a lot of things, and uh, uh, I think that we'll be able to sort of breeze through those. But I do want to start at the beginning, because as we said, the tribes arrived on the beach to compete in this uh, first challenge where they were competing to win Flint a machete and a pot of just like in 41 they were told you're not getting a food staple you're not getting rice and there was a lot of um the conversation between jeff and the contestants here before the challenge starts was so cringy and maybe before we talk about it i want to play a voicemail that we got about that uh because i think it's a good jumping off point Okay. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. It's Tan. I'm so excited that y'all are back for season 42. And uh, I had some thoughts that I would love to share with y'all. The first one had to do with Jeff's cringy ass behavior um, in the intro on the beach where he's addressing the tribes. And first of all, I thought that was so boring. Um, He's like almost hyping them up, I guess. And like that was something that very much could have happened off camera we didn't really need to see them like squealing over jeff um i just thought that was yeah so cringy um and i wish they would have just got right into some of the action because once we got past this i actually thought this episode was like decent overall um and i really liked the twist at the beginning i wish they would have just gotten right into that because i think it would have been so much more exciting alas they did not um but overall again i thought this was a decent episode similarly to season 41 i'm really excited about the cast um i just thought overall it was really good casting and i'm excited about some of the characters on the show and yeah can't wait to hear y'all's winner picks um i love jennifer jenny i thought she was absolutely amazing anyways again so excited for the pod to be back and uh yeah can't wait to hear it. Bye. Okay. Thank you, Tan, for all those thoughts. But can we start with Jeff and his behavior talking to the contestants? This is not the Jeff that, well, I was going to say I know and love, but I've never loved Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Jeff I know. I have to be honest with you. I No, I, I, I'm not quite tapping into what you both are speaking to. And again, I'm like very keen to Jeff being cringy, but tell me, maybe I missed this. Oh my God. So when the whole cast arrives on the beach, they arrive on their separate tribes and Jeff is like, you know, he does this every season. He says, hey, you in the orange shirt. Hey, big guy in the back. Like, why why are you here? Why are you so excited? And somebody said, I think it was Mike said, I'm just... I can't believe I'm here with Jeff Probst and I just want to soak this all in. And then Jeff starts doing these poses and it's just like, he's got his long hair and his new face and like the whole 
I just like hated it. I just truly hated it because Jeff is trying to be fun, but it's like if somebody who lived in a bunker for 70 years came out of the bunker <laughs> and then tried to interact with modern humans at, in a fun way, like they're just, he's just not connecting. He doesn't get right. it. He doesn't get being fun. He's not a fun person. And so I just don't need him relating to the contestants. I don't need him to be, it's not Jeff Probst's best friend race. Do you know what I mean? Right. I'm also just not sure at this point, like how much business there is to hash out when we first get to the island. Like I think kind of, again, going back to like Mm -hmm. why I like the marooning, it's just sort of like him sort of uh, wanting to do any kind of preamble. And again, I feel like at this point, it's the show just wanting to indulge itself by showing the fact that like, this is such a juggernaut that there are people out here who either have, this is like their biggest thing that they've wanted out of life and or they spent their entire formative years watching this show. And just the sort of like indulgence of Jeff um, to allow these people to fan out over him and not, I get that some people are just going to do that, but if I'm Jeff, I'm like, cut it out. It's kind of like, I've had interviews Mm -hmm. where someone, one thing I've learned in interviewing is for instance, sometimes a lot of people would be like, that's a great question, Evan. That's what they say as soon as you ask it. And it's like, I've learned now, you cut out them saying that's a great question because you don't need your audience to hear the person like saying something about it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. So you cut it out, right? Get right to the meat. And with Jeff, it's kind of like the fact that he allows that edit to like stay in there is very telling to me. Yes. Yes. And if we're taking this whole approach of uh, survivor being a monster and the most dangerous game ever, then the host should be scary. You should not want to see the host because every time you see the host, there is risk involved. And that I'm on board with. I mean, I might not like all of the twists that he's going to throw at them. But if we're going to go full tilt into this, then don't also be like friendly neighborhood Jeff Probst. Be, Be the monster that you speak of. Right. Okay. So we're running the challenge. Okay, we have three tribes. Try to keep keep this straight. Taku, orange, Vati is green, and Ika is blue. Okay. I'm gonna try to try to remember. Um, so we're running this challenge where they have to go collect ores from the jungle and they're sending different people out for each sort of like leg of getting these ores, and then they're gonna go in a boat and collect pieces of bamboo, make one of those bamboo sticks with string and retrieve their flint from a post. Okay, standard. Except that in the second leg of going to retrieve the oars, the retrievers, uh, who are one from each tribe, they are Lindsay, Drea, and Hai, are faced with a twist. Our first twist just minutes into the game. Uh, Basically, the twist is that they can take the paddles and return and have nothing change, uh, or they can untie knots for unknown reasons and still get the paddles, but also receive an advantage in the game. So uh, there's not like a choice here that like they're not, they're presented with a choice, but it's a fake choice because just like Erica smashing the hourglass, it's like, well, obviously you're going to take the advantage. I mean, you'd have to untie knots anyway to get the oars. So let's just untie these knots, which we never even see them do. Right. And not only that, they all have to wait for each other. So even if the first person arrived and was like, I don't want to do this because I want to maintain our advantage, they would have already lost the advantage mm-hmm. because that by not accepting the, by not taking the risk, they're all evening out the competition. 
So it was such a strange, mm-hmm. as you pointed out, like inevitable inevitability that they kind of wanted to like make seem like, oh, there's this great choice here. Now I will say the the mud and the blood element that was provided was by far my favorite at like moment within the episode because I thought that was the show actually like, yeah, I really, really liked that. And I liked all the stuff with the blood. I thought that was just a really fun element to add to it that like wasn't, that was low stakes, but just sort of like, hmm, let's like help these contestants out. But it basically was like, okay, the contestants are going to have to act, but let's give them props. And I thought that that was like a really fun little twist. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I just have to say that, like, that <laughs> if I was in their shoes, and I'm sure that it's easy to get carried away when you have, like, tables of mud and blood that obviously the production wants you to use for the shot. Right. But they could have just said they had to untie 40 knots and it took forever and they were really hard knots to untie. And that they were in the same way that in the first leg, the oars were tied to a net and they had to climb up the net. Like surely they could have just been like, Oh yeah, it took, it took forever. Sorry. But like, look, it also took the other tribes forever too. So I just found the mud and the blood confusing the blood. Also, (laughs) I have a few thoughts on the blood because first of all, just just to bring it back to the being the most dangerous season ever this or this new version of survivor is the most dangerous ever lest we forget that in season 3 in africa they had to drink real blood they had to drink blood season 42 you know fast forward put this fake blood on your body to cover up your lie you know one feels a little more dangerous than the other Without a doubt. The other <laughs> thing about this... A, as um, an aside. Right. But the other thing about this challenge that I thought was a little bit off was being that it's the first challenge and you only have one runner at a time, that means 15 of the 18 contestants are just standing at the beach waiting. And Jeff has nothing uh-huh. to commentate on since the players themselves are off in the woods. So I thought it was a strange moment of like, you just have a lot of stillness within a challenge. And I feel like with a challenge at this, again, going back to why the marooning is so good, everyone's kind of doing their own thing to help the cause. This was a little bit of like a slow challenge to get started on. And I also was wondering if you're one of the five contestants that's waiting back at the at the base and you know you're not going to be a runner do you turn to the other players and start talking hey how are you where are you from blah 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 because it's like you have no you're not going to like keep your attention off at the woods because there's nothing to see so i just thought in terms of like Mm -hmm. the pacing of a first challenge i think you want something that like at least the people that are hanging back are having to like balance something or you want there to be some sort of activity that everyone is involved in from the outset because i thought it was a little bit of a slow not only slow in that they were gone for so long but you kind of got those like cutaways back to the people on the beach and like they were kind of like you got a few shots of them like cheering but it kind of was like what are we doing here we're just waiting and the longer and you have to imagine (laughs) they were probably away you know smearing on the blood and the mud for even longer than we saw and i would have loved a cutaway of just like crickets with the other 15 contestants and jeff just like standing at the beach waiting because that's what it felt like yeah I mean, they, yeah, they could have done that. They could have had fun with that. But also, it, it, I will give it this. It felt like a little bit of an old school challenge because remember they used to do this in the very yep. early seasons where it's like run into the jungle and then 
come back whenever you have the thing. I kind of like that. Like there's an element of like the tribe just waiting and you never know somebody, you know, somebody could really gain a lead or lose a lead uh, in the jungle and the tribe just has to deal with it the second that they see them come back. So there was a little bit of a throwback old school element uh, to this that I didn't mind. One other thing though about the fake blood is that High smeared the fake blood all over his body and what frustrates me beyond belief is that there were absolutely no consequences in the storytelling to this because we see him go hog on the fake blood and he comes back. We, I mean, we got like Lydia said, maybe two or three times you're covered in blood. Now the trick here is that he has no scrapes or cuts. And so how did he explain the fake blood? I mean, if we're going to do these secret things where People are gaining advantages by going off on their own away from their tribe. We need to see the consequences of that. I need to know what he said to his tribe and whether they believed him. And similarly, I mean, jumping ahead, when the three women go off to the prisoner's dilemma island, we got literally zero camp reaction to that where they explain themselves what they saw what they did which was such a big part of last season remember xander talking about getting the extra vote and how he was going to use it and jd lying about it and everybody finding jd shady as a result like there was so much fallout from that and it's like this time they just like forgot to include it i totally agree with you i mean i there was a moment when i saw them back at the beach all of a sudden i was like wait Aren't they still like I had to piece together the fact that we were forwarding time to like they're already back. I think what you're pointing out with both of those examples and then adding the Jackson story that I know we'll get to. I feel like there were just major story editing issues in this episode, some of which, as you point out, we saw in season 41. But I think for people that are not, you know, either regular viewers of a, a lot of reality television or aren't sort of privy to like the story editing process. It's hard to know the importance of the role of the story editor until you see it done this poorly. Because the thing about good story editing is when it's done well, you're just like, that was a great episode of Survivor. You're not seeing it through the prism of that was great story editing. Whereas mm -hmm. a lot of the standouts about what's not working right now, which very much have to do with story editing, are flaws in the story edit that sort of make it challenging to either follow a narrative or you start to get to the point where you're like, well, clearly a lot of things have happened that I haven't seen. Now, that's always been the case on Survivor. There are lots of conversations that we don't know about, but I think in the past, the show has been better at recognizing that and using it as either a blind side or a flashback or something. And there were lots of needles that were left unthreaded in this episode that weren't consciously left unthreaded, as I think is often the case in the past, but were just sort of like, this thing happened and we're moving on. But what you're pointing out, and I think what many viewers feel is, well, we're not moving on. Or like, we want to know the fallout of XYZ thing, because if you're going to have someone come forward in a challenge covered in blood, and all we get from it is one throwaway joke where someone's like, um, you're, what was, the, I don't even remember what the joke was. They were like, was that real blood or something? And he was like, yeah, or something to that effect. When they were still in the middle yeah. of the challenge as they were leaving, but no further fallout it, it you sort of get left as a viewer thinking, well, I guess I shouldn't care about these things if they don't care. And then when you start to feel that so many times, I shouldn't care, I shouldn't care, I think you begin to disengage. And I think that's one worry that I have moving forward is it's like, they. I think there needs to be better attention to the story editing. And again, this goes back to something you and I talk about, which is like feeling like sometimes the show treats us like we're dumb. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, let's move on here. Roxroy ends up winning it for the Ika tribe, the Blue tribe. Uh, but meanwhile, on uh, the Vati tribe, I think, uh, Daniel took a fall during the challenge. Her, lots of people were falling in the, yeah. in the sand. First time running. First time with their new feet. <laughs> and Daniel took a fall, and he managed to dislocate his shoulder. But I will say, he seized the opportunity in a way that I have to say I'm very proud of him for to use it as an opportunity to name drop Stephanie LaGrosa, a fellow Republican. You know, Daniel uh, worked for Jeb Bush, uh, Jeb Bush's campaign. <laughs> so <laughs> just FYI. So he name dropped uh, his his fellow Republican in arms, Stephanie LaGrosa, which I have to appreciate. I mean, like, I love a throwback. I love a, a reference. And I love a reference that's not just to Boston Rob, Tony, or Sandra. So they managed to pop his shoulder back in. I think uh, a story that we're going to continue to get is Daniel's shoulder giving him trouble because I don't know if you noticed this, but in the immunity challenge, he was still like really nursing his shoulder. And then there was a secret scene released, which was like literally had no content in it whatsoever. Considering we have so many unanswered questions from this episode, the secret scene they released was a tribe getting tree mail and (laughs) before the immunity challenge. But in that scene, Daniel was talking about like, I'm kind of worried about my shoulder. It's really still bothering me. So I wonder if this will carry over into episode two or three in any way that his shoulder is going to be in rough shape for a while. I have one other comment on that. Um, I thought that that moment where they were like attempting to like bring in medical and attempting to sort of do what happened in the season 41 premiere with like that zoom out on like, this is production when compared to what happened in Cal wrong, when they had to bring in the crew and everyone it's Cal wrong mm-hmm. where everyone was like dehydrated. Right. And they, yeah, mm-hmm. just comparatively, there were like five crew members on this one. And it just was like, they were attempting something very epic, like the breaking of the fourth wall here. And it like did not quite land for me and it's sort of effort. And I will say, um, compare it again to Stephanie, uh, Stephanie, when you you actually, if I recall correctly, maybe I'm misremembering, you kind of see her shoulder go back in. I remember being very uh, Mm -hmm. grossed out by that. This was just sort of, in all of the ways in which it seemed to be replicating the Stephanie moment, it, again, going back to like, the drinking blood in season three versus smearing blood in season 42. That callback to me was again, like season 20, you actually watch and hear the shoulder pop back in. And this one was a little bit like, it just didn't, the, the moment didn't quite land. Like, I, I don't know. It was, it was sort of like that, um, that similarity between the idea of like, we're doing this thing all over again, but it just hits different the second time. So yes, I appreciate the recognition of the callback, but there's also something to be said about the fact of like, we're, we're in a place now where we're repeating things, which can work, but we're repeating things with less effect than they had the first time. And that's mm-hmm. worrisome. All this to yeah. say, I want to just point out, I'm being very, very negative, as I am want to be, um, about season 42. And I will say, like, on the whole, I'll, I'll put this in the middle of the episode randomly, but I did enjoy many aspects of this premiere. And I have to say, I definitely enjoyed this premiere more than I did season 41. So just putting that out there amidst my negativity. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, oh that yeah. surprises me. Oh, yeah. Because I'm so much more opposite. into this cast. Mm. Wow. Okay. Oh my gosh. I like this cast so much more than 41. 
Oh my god. Okay. Well, okay, we're going to get into it because let's go to the camps where uh, we will get to meet some of these people. Let's go first to the Ika tribe, the Blue tribe. So we see them introducing themselves to each other. Swathi, who's very interesting, gets a little clip package again. Like, not really saying much. Okay, so she's in the National Guard, whatever that means, and is also in Harvard. Fine. But, okay, the star... (laughs) The star of this episode from the Ika tribe is really Tori who is giving me big Angelina vibes because she is making some very bizarre social choices. So for example, she is talking about how she's telling her tribe that she's a caregiver, but that she's actually a therapist. And it's like, why, why, why that lie? Why of all the lies would you say? I could understand lying if you were like a cop. I could totally get that or I don't know, something else, but like a therapist are people afraid of therapists. Do therapists have a bad rap in survivor? I mean, I'm being a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I feel like that was production telling her to lie about her job because as you're pointing out, there's just no logic to it whatsoever. But I feel like it's very survivor to be like, I'm going to tell everyone I'm this, but I'm actually this. And that to me, I just got a whiff of like production being like, we need someone in this cast to lie about their job here, Tori, let's have it be you. I could be totally wrong. I've got (laughs) nothing I'm going off of, but a theory, but They're just, as you're pointing out, it's like, why lie about it? In what way is that going to benefit your game? Also, I don't know. I I am not convinced about that because I think Tori's just truly a delusional queen because I did consume some of the preseason stuff. And in her interviews, she was all about, she was like, it's like she's really leaning on this therapist thing. She's like, I know exactly how to get people to open up to me and tell me, all of their innermost thoughts and feelings within moments of meeting them. And I don't want people to know I have that power. And she thinks that like therapists have this uh, reputation of being able to convince people to do things, to change their lives in certain ways. But like the whole point is that you're doing that for the better of in the best interests of somebody else, not in the way that that would be applied in survivor. So I just truly think she is so, she has such a sense of self-importance and has a very inflated ego to the point where she's like, she thinks that she is the greatest and that she needs to lower that. Where like you take a step back and you're like, oh, no, you're, you're literally just a, a person who's a therapist. It's not that big of a deal. And I think that we see this like in the next scene where she's she's like, I want to connect with the young kids. And so she's like going to sit down with them. And her way to connect to the young kids is being like, do you guys like Harry Potter? Which is like <laughs> so embarrassing. I will say that if Tori can make it right, if Tori can make it through the next vote or two, Tori's making it to the end. I feel like Tori has that trajectory similar to Nora, um, where it's kind of like you, I feel like she's going to get the crazy edit in the beginning or Angelina, uh, as you pointed out. It's mm-hmm. like, I think that that archetype, which we have seen time and time again, actually has a lot better of a shot if they can just, they got to make it through those first couple votes. But if they can, Tori has an easy long game ahead, I feel. Also, the one thing you pointed out, that which I thought was so strange, was them trying to formulate this sort of like olds versus youngs, which Mm -hmm. like didn't quite pan out like later in the episode in any kind of way, because I think it was 
was it Drea, where she was considered one of the olds, but yet she was sort of aligned with Zach or, so, or speaking to Zach mm-hmm. at one point. And I just was like, again, that like going back to story editing, it was like that effort to like frame things one way, but then you kind of realize that like that's actually not the way things are playing out in actuality and it ends up just being confusing. Yeah, and not even from the beginning because the other clip we get from Ika is that we see Drea, Roxroy, and Romeo make this day one alliance over at the well. And wait, is Romeo one of the youngs? No, he was one of the olds. He was one of the olds. In, oh, again, in so that Drea, breakdown. Roxroy, and Romeo would be olds. Okay. Yes. I see. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. But Drea's 35. It's, yeah, it's just odd. Oh, yeah, I know. I just want to mention that Romeo also said he had two dreams in his life. One was to win Miss Universe and the other is to win Survivor. So he can't win Miss Universe, but this is his opportunity to win Survivor. What did you think of Romeo? Um, No real strong reactions outside of that's an interesting hairdo to bring to the island. And I'll be interested to see when the gel <laughs> and whatnot is no longer in it, sort of like how it lays, if it, if it lays flat or, or what, what will become of it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I thought it was smart of him to make a three and then a one. But I think his mistake was he was unable to use that one to get to a 4-2. And so he ended up losing his mm-hmm. one. It's like, in theory, the strategy mm-hmm. was really, really strong, but he wasn't able to carry it through. So I feel like at that point, if he knew it was Zach, he needs to then go to like someone like a Tory and make a final two. Because you want to have a solid, when you're in a situation with six players, you want to have a solid three, but you have to have that final two with someone outside of that so that your number is really locked. And I feel like he chose the wrong person to make it with. Or I feel like he needed to do more to keep Zach in the game. And I mean, maybe he did and he was unable to, but it was a bummer for him to lose Zach in terms of his gameplay. Yeah. I mean, I think he's in a very good position. I think He's probably seems to be the most strategic person on that tribe and has managed to somehow connect with virtually everybody on that tribe or have connections to them through other people. So um, he's going to be interesting to watch. I am very confused about the hair, but I'm going to let it slide for now and see how it settles in the coming days with the salt water and all that, you know? Yeah. I mean, Uh, I also want to say I do appreciate pageant coach as like a uh, as a vocation because i think that too often on this show you know for instance uh i know we're i think his name is mike coming up uh, the we we get like the ex army person or the ex police officer mm-hmm. we've just done a lot of the same careers over and over again and so i think it's fun mm-hmm. to sort of like mix it up because i don't know like wh- there is no i don't know what it means to be a pageant coach by way of like your personality it can go a lot of ways there and so i do just appreciate like diversifying the vocation field because i feel like that's one element of the show that we just we keep doing the same things over and over again by way of careers and it's fun to see someone from a completely different walk of life and i imagine as a pageant coach excuse me pageant coach there's a lot of skills that you pick up that are applicable to this game that i think are exciting to potentially watch how how he uses that to his advantage yeah i would agree and i think that he's just like really well placed to sort of surprisingly well-placed to uh, relate to other people. And like, I'm thinking about that scene where the young kids on the tribe are singing the theme song, Ancient Voices of Survivor, which thank God they are, because we're certainly not going to hear it in the season moving forward. Um, But it's like, 
he's not a part of that, but he understands where they're coming from. And he's with Roxroy, who's like a real stick in the mud and is not happy that they're like singing. And very similar to, I remember Shireen was singing this in Worlds Apart, remember? And all the men who hated her were like, oh, I wish she would shut up. She's so annoying talking about Survivor all the time. And it's like, let them have fun. And like Romeo's just in a good place to be like, okay, like I get, I, I get being fun. I also get, being serious i'm like he's he's must be a good i should find out his age but he must be in a good in between age to relate to all these people so uh i think he's just gonna be really interesting to watch um we should talk about the other tribes and what's going on with them because both of them face the sweat or savvy challenge which of course is repeated from season 41 but not because in theory they're the same but they have changed the variables in this twist to make it absolutely certain that the tribes will choose the the other path because in 41 remember so our choices are to fill a barrel with water and to count uh triangles in a puzzle okay in 41 we had two people allowed to fill the barrel which was much less isolating and much faster, obviously. When it came to the puzzle, the reason nobody chose the puzzle in 41 is because you had no writing utensil. There was no chalk. There was no chalkboard. You also weren't allowed to write in the sand even. And you had one guess. So now they're given chalk a chalkboard and they're given two potential guesses for this. So it's so obvious you're going to pick that over one person volunteering to be isolated from the tribe for like four hours, right? Which is like one of the giant things about the show that I think is just, again, makes it feel like it's directed towards an audience of kids, which is they keep presenting these choices, but they're not actually choices. They are inevitabilities. And as we saw, both tribes were able to successfully guess given all of the resources that weren't present in 41. So while I understand, I understand from a production perspective, hey, we did this last season, we're trying to get a different result. I'm all for that. Like I understand that instinct. It's how they go about it and the obviousness of it that I think is really bothersome. Yeah, totally. And also, I don't know who thought that watching people count triangles and a puzzle would be good television <laughs> because although we got some good moments and i think like jenny really sort of broke out here as the star of vati and uh, the puzzles on her tribe which she'll continue on in the immunity challenge and then also i guess omer did a good job on taku and marianne marianne managed to like explain in confessionals how to count triangles um it's not visually stimulating to watch people look at a piece of paper. I mean, we said this last season about all the advantages that like without even this would be a great opportunity to uh, highlight things on the screen. You know, we complain about when they highlight the hidden immunity idol or something to show the audience because, well, of course, we can't see it uh, because we're too dumb. This actually would be a great opportunity to like highlight all of the triangles or something very quickly. So at least we can get a sense of like, are they doing well? Are they not doing well? Um, but they didn't do that here. So it's like, okay, we're just going to look at people like point at things on a picture that we can't even follow along. We're just like along for the ride at this point. Right. And what's, but what's funny is I was listening to survivor know-it-alls 
And Stephen Fishback was talking about how riveted he was by the triangle counting. And I'm with you, but I only bring that up to say, this is sort of why I'm reminded of like, there's how, and even you and I don't always agree, but like there's sort of how you and I, the lens with which we view this show, and then there's a fandom that is very other. Like as you pointed out, there are people out there that are going to watch this Jackson storyline and cry their all eyeballs out and be very heartwarmed by it. And then here you and I are, and, and maybe I'm maybe it's just me on this, but like that's a little bit like cringes at, that we're still telling this exact story. And again, with the triangles, it's like Steven watched that and was like, I can't believe that I'm riveted by watching people count triangles. And I'm just kind of like, I can't believe you you are either. Um, love you, Steven. But this just to say that it's like there are people out there that watch this kind of stuff and continue to be, you know, moved by it or, or see something that we're not. But I totally agree with you. And then also to have to watch it twice, to watch two tribes dealing with it. Yeah. I was like, oh my yeah. God, like we really, really don't need yeah. this. And also just narratively, there's only two options here. You either get it or you don't. Um, and so, and, and again, I don't know about you, but for me at home, I didn't, I wasn't able to do it myself. So I often think sometimes Sometimes when you're doing like the word challenges where they're trying to unscramble a word, at least at home, you can kind of be in your head trying to play along. But because you don't have the triangle in front of you to stare at and work it out there, ultimately they're sort of like 39, 40, 42. That's not fun for us because we're not playing along with them in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the only thing that made it remotely fun for me is that I knew the answer because it was the same puzzle that they did uh, last season that they were presented with and somebody on Twitter had figured it out. So I, I didn't even know the exact number. I just knew it was around 50, like 50, 51, 52. And so I knew generally where they should be landing, but I'm in the mi like extreme minority in that, that I happened to see that on Twitter and even remember what the number was. Uh, I can't imagine how people watching who, who never saw that like niche tweet uh, would have experienced that because it's like we had no sense of how close or far they would have been. It would have, this would have been a great opportunity for them to just like very quickly sort of like show us the general direction that they, the tribes need to go to complete this challenge before it started. Okay. Let's talk about around this point, we get the advantage amulet clues read so at the i had almost forgotten that there was an advantage one in the first challenge uh that was of course won by Lindsay high and drea so they finally get some time to go off on their own and find out what this advantage was it's called the advantage amulet the amulet basically uh complicated rules i think for casual fans i'm gonna say that they're not complicated to me I, I actually like don't mind this twist but considering that this is an advantage that is introduced in episode one but can't even come into play until the merge is an interesting choice it's a choice uh, so the way that it works is that there are three amulets, uh, each held by these individuals who are on different tribes, and they have to be played together. All of the advantages that are left in the game have to be played together. And so three amulets, if they come together, have the power of an extra vote. If two amulets come together because the third is already gone, uh, then they have the power of a steal a vote. And if two of the advantages are gone and there's only one left remaining in the game, it has the power of an idol. 
So this is interesting because Hi and Drea both recognize here that there's a catch and it's that they have to reconnect with the other people who have the amulets, but also it's in their best interest to target those people or those people will be targeting them because the right. fewer amulets are left in the game, the more powerful they are. What did you think about this? I thought it was beyond confusing. Even hearing you describe it now, I'm further confused. I think a lot of us went back to the Mike White rule of is it fun, but I think we need to amend the is it fun to is it simple. Um, I just think the complexity of it is just too bizarre for me. And then also, if there's an option of an idol, you're always going to want the idol. Like, I just think mm -hmm. that like the options here are such where it's like, of course, you're going to go after the other two people. Also, mind you, they're in a situation right now where they can't even control if the other two get booted. So there's a world in which two of the three just get eliminated as the game would have played out and that person just gets handed an idol. So I feel like the only way to make this potentially interesting is to have it happen at a merge um, because then you actually can dictate as far as either talk to them about working with them or actively work against them. But at this juncture, it just seems like it's so pointless to have there be options when they don't actually have the option to make anything happen. That was my that was my yeah. read of it. What about you? I agree. I I personally am not confused by the rules. Um I think that they would be confusing to somebody who's, you know, not listening to podcasts and rewatching the episode and reading about the episodes and stuff. I think it's going to be very easy to forget how these work next week if you are that kind of a viewer, which millions and millions of people are so that's going to be tricky for the show i think to keep up narratively but i actually really like this because the advantages aren't super powerful i mean an extra vote is a dime a dozen in the new era of survivor a steal a vote i feel like there's very limited situations in which you would want to use a steal a vote and so that true the 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 chances of two people coming together so really this is about getting an idol and it's about sort of having this catch 22 of having these amulets but needing to take out the other people who have the amulets and i think that there is the only thing that i think makes it interesting in giving them these powers on day one or these amulets on day one is that they're is some potential for them to target them, uh, the other amulet holders pre-merge, because we have this additional uh, element of the Prisoner's Dilemma Island where, uh, you know, potentially every cycle, three people from each tribe are going to get together. And so if you're an amulet holder and you can manage to go to Prisoner's Dilemma Island, you could have some influence on... Uh, the other amulet holder's fate in the game if you say the right thing to the right people. So, for example, if Drea, uh, who is an amulet holder, goes to Prisoner's Dilemma Island, as she did, uh, she could have said, I mean, I wonder what she could have said. Could she have said, hey, uh, in the first challenge, you know, uh, Lindsay got 
an advantage. We we all had to like fight for this advantage over at the oars and Lindsay got it. And just so you know, like you might want to take her out if she's lying to you about it. Like there is some seeds you could plant in people's head uh, that could, that target could get put back on you. But like in this situation where it's in your best interest to have the other people eliminated, you might want to take all the shots you can get. So I think it adds an interesting element, but yes, it's complicated. And yes, it's going to be hard to keep track of for the entire season. And as you're describing all of this, I do think it's like at some point we should sort of break down that like we're in a very different era by way of like, because there's a lot of talk about how 30s and sort of like the advantages that have come along in the 30s seasons. But where we're at now is like, it's not just the amount of advantages, it's like the complexity of the advantage. Because mm-hmm. there was a time, even in like the 30s, for instance, um, you know, when an idle nullifier comes out, right? And uh, although it's like a new twist, it's very straightforward. You use this, the idol doesn't work. And I feel like where we're at now is it's like this new sort of like, not only are we adding new advantages, but the advantages have lots of caveats or or lots mm-hmm. of like, you know, combined idols, or you have to say this phrase. And I do feel like it's worth sort of differentiating the current cycle of like advantages versus the other ones, because I think there was advantage fatigue uh, in the 30s, but I think it's a very different kind of advantage. Whereas I feel like a lot of the fatigue I'm feeling right now has less to do with the amount of advantages and more to do with just the complexity of every advantage. I just want someone to be able to like find an idol and this is an idol and it ha- and you know and, and you can yeah. only use it up until the final five and that's all there is to it. Just looking at the amount of text that's on some of these parchments explaining the rules and yeah. knowing that like we're not even hearing everything. They're only giving us the audio of like the, the things we need to know because I'm sure there's some other you know bells and whistles on there about you know where you can hide it or whatever I, I that to me is like one of the things that i think is distinctly different about this current era and one way in which it's like i i i'm not loving it i hear you it's it's overly complex i think i mean it wouldn't make it simpler but i feel like an unnecessary caveat to the amulet is that they have to be played together if they're all in the game or any that are left in the game have to be played together because i actually think it would be interesting to be like you can give up your opportunity to potentially have an idol down the line if you want to use this as an extra vote like you can trade it in for an extra vote but there goes your opportunity for an idol if you're really desperate and the extra vote's going to come in handy in a pre-merge vote like that could be interesting um right so this idea that like you they have to be played together it's like well so we're gonna wait all these episodes for this to even become a thing again okay it's just then then as you say why not introduce it at the merge right uh what else do we need to highlight here uh i guess on the vati tribe we have some pairing off going on we've got lydia and hi who have an immediate connection i mean lydia said that she looked at hi and saw herself uh which okay lydia is interesting lydia we we haven't gotten a lot of lydia yet but lydia has a huge online presence lydia chlamydia on twitter um she seems fun maybe it's a little calculated for me but she's fun and um, she posted this picture uh, on the premiere day or the day before the premiere of her and Jeff Probst at a party. And she said, like, ran into Jeff drunk at a party once and that, and then I wound up on Survivor. So 
That's an interesting story because it doesn't sound like a traditional casting story these days. But okay, like I'm curious to see how Lydia does. Of course, she had that intro, which was like, she doesn't like the water. She doesn't like the sand. She doesn't like the bugs. She doesn't like anything. She can't run. Um, So uh, like, it'll be fun to see her. But what's interesting is that like in a typical season, Lydia would be as would stand out in, in that way. And yet on this season, the whole cast is kind of goofy and weird. Like there's three athletic people on this cast. I'm thinking Drea, Mike, and Jonathan. Right. Everybody else is kind of weird, which makes it like Marianne's mission of doing it for the weirdos. Well, they're all weird this season. Right. So and Marianne, what now, you're going to have to work overtime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, Lydia and Hi have a connection. Jenny and Mike seem to be a duo, and Chanel and Daniel are left to be a duo. I find Chanel and Daniel to be an odd pairing, so I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Maybe it will work out uh, because it'll be less obvious of a duo, but I honestly am not sure how long Daniel's going to last with his shoulder. And this is uh, where we get Daniel giving his backstory, talking about how he got the best leukemia you can get, which, okay. Um, at this point, I'm getting exhausted of the backstories uh, in the episode, and there's so many more to come. And I think not for nothing, getting them up top like this, because even what you pointed out about the Erica thing, outside of her story uh, being just sort of one of the more enjoyable ones to learn, the fact that we got it halfway through the season I mean, and even in the case of Erica, she means she was deeply under-edited for the first half, which we all know, but at least we'd gotten to know her a little bit. This feels very much that it's because they're doing so many of them so quickly in the episode, it, it seems like they're trying to frame our view of these players versus allowing us to form some sort of opinion and then give us more of the backstory. I think some of the most poignant moments on this show through the years is when you as the viewer have watched a player, gotten to know them, and formed an opinion about them, and then they let out some information in a vulnerable moment to a fellow player and you, the audience member, then vis-a-vis that moment are learning more about them. And it feels really organic. And there have been so many moments where like, I felt a certain way about a person and then they let another contestant know something and it completely usurps my impression of them. And they weren't doing it to present it on the show. They were doing it in a human moment of connecting with another player and not even necessarily always for gameplay purposes. Sometimes, and I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to this, someone shares something really vulnerable with you and you either share something that relates to the thing that they've shared or because they've let their guard down, you too feel like you can let your guard down. Those are some of the really powerful moments that this show has been able to bring us through the years. And by sort of front-loading these moments and making them so inorganic, and making them so heavy-handed, I think it has the opposite effect that they're going for, and you end up just kind of being like, okay, well, they're boxing a lot of these people in solely by their identity um, and not allowing those stories to come out as they should, or, or if the, even if the person wants to. Yeah, 100%. And if they're casting these people because they have amazing stories, presumably they also have amazing personalities, and I would way rather fall in love with somebody because of their personality 
than because of their story. Their story is secondary. I This is a TV show. We've got 42 minutes to meet these people. Show me, as we've said many times, show me who you are. Don't tell me who you are. I I need to get a right. sense for you that I'm going to remember. Right. And if you look at some of our favorite players, like let's bring up Sandra for a minute. Think about how little Sandra talked about her husband or like even barely mentioned her kids. And that is to say that like Sandra did not want to define herself as the army wife. Sandra wanted to define herself as herself. And then like you learn more about her through her various seasons or even thinking about someone like Parvati, who I have no idea to this day what Parvati's backstory is before the show. It's just to say that a lot of like our favorite players, it has very little to do with where they come from or how they see themselves in the world and more to just do that you fall in love with them and then you learn things as you learn things as you go it's kind of like interesting i'm even looking at the ages of the cast right now and who is it there's this woman uh maria who is 47 and the occupation is stay at home mom and i'm curious to see because we got very little of maria in this episode and i'm curious to see Mariah. how much of Oh, Mariah, oh, oh, pardon me. I'm very curious to see with Mariah how much the narrative is going to be about her being a mom, which was the case very much with both Tiffany and Heather. They were viewed through the prism of we are older women, we are moms. Um, mm. And I'm just curious, you know, and even with Mike, there was that comment about, oh, you're 57 or however old he is. It's so impressive that you're able to like lift up lumber. And it's like, there's just, again, it's like pointing out all these things and it's like, a 50 it's not it shouldn't be surprising that a 57 year old guy in the shape that he's in is able to do these things so anyway i just think yeah there's that effort to sort of make people or view people through a certain prism whereas again i always it comes back to the zeke thing of just like he just wanted to play this game and and then lets out certain bits of himself as he does as he sees fit so yes i think that the packages and i even think just like defining people as their age and their occupation i also find that very limiting yeah, like those totally. are the two things which we is know: why, name, age, and occupation. Yeah, which is why I really liked the scene between Romeo and Zach, sort of bonding together and, and creating this connection. Because Zach, very unfortunate for Zach to be our first boot, because I actually think he brought all of that personality. And I mean, maybe it was highlighted because he was the first boot. Uh, granted. But I think that he brought a lot of personality, and I don't know whether I would have liked him or not. He could have become a Cochrane-esque figure that I would have grown to despise. But I think in one episode, I really became fond of Zach because I understood where he was coming from. I understood his point of view. And it wasn't because he got a backstory. It was because he talked about his experience on the island and talked about, you know, he, he narrated this so well, talking uh, uh, to Romeo and... Uh, basically, they bonded over being twinks. They bonded over being the tiny, uh, skinny boys on the tribe and that they should kind of like stick together for that reason. And Zach had this great like analogy to it being like your first kiss. And uh, I don't, Zach's not gay, but like I appreciated the approach and I just thought it was like a great, great way to get to know somebody. And, and similarly on that tribe, like I think that Tori is another great example of like, we're, we have got to know Tori through her actions, psychotic as they may be, because then um, we also see Tori out harvesting for tarot root and, and she takes the opportunity while she's out harvesting tarot 
to like do a little idol hunting. And it's this like really, it's this really great sequence where like, she's like, oh, this is perfect because they think that I'm harvesting tarot, but actually I'm going to also idol hunt. And then we you know, cut back to camp and they're like, Tori's totally looking for an idol. And then she comes back to camp and she notices that like, they've caught on to what's going on. And then she tells us the audience <laughs> That she's like, I was out harvesting food for them. How dare they accuse me of like looking for an idol? And it's just like that sequence has told me everything that I need exactly. to know about Tori and like why she's going to be great TV. I see why she was cast. Where like on the flip side, it's like I haven't been, I haven't quite seen why like somebody else in that tribe, like Roxroy, I haven't seen why he's there really yet. Right. Um, also, so. too, going to Roxroy, that sort of person that like comes in and is really domineering and has no patience. We've seen that in so many seasons. And again, it's kind of like if you don't have the patience for like personalities outside of your own, this is not the game for you. It reminds mm-hmm. me of I forget what. Oh, I think it was the first season of Australian Survivor because I only got through episode one. By the way, people, I will be starting my Survivor Australia journey. But anyway, it was like the first night and this one guy refused to sleep in the shelter with everybody else. And when I see that behavior from night one, I'm like, you're not meant to play this game. If you're gonna Mm -hmm. be that antagonistic this early on, this is not the game for you. And so yeah, with Roxroy, I'm just kind of like, I get that you are a natural born leader, but you gotta calibrate it on some level, even if it's just in these early days. And then one other thing I wanted to mention just off of the Zach thing that you said, I think not for nothing, the fact that Zach and Jackson, our first two air quotes boots, are so memorable compared to season 41, to me really is a signal of I did feel like, and and perhaps this is because of Jackson's exit and not having to waste so much time with the second tribal, but I really did feel like I was able to get to know more people in this episode. And I feel like I was able to get to know, like you were pointing out that Tori edit, like I felt like I got to know some nuances about certain people that I really did not feel I felt in 41. It took me you know, a few episodes to even know who everyone was in 41. And I'm not saying I fully have a grasp on all 18, but like I have a sense of who a lot of these players are after just one episode. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. That makes sense. Let's go to the Prisoner's Dilemma Island because a boat arrived at each camp and required somebody to get on it. No instructions, really. Uh, And so we get Marianne uh, volunteering to go. We get Drea winning a rock, paper, scissors to go. And Jenny pulls the right straw to go. Uh, You know, three different approaches here. And we get three women going, which is iconic. I actually really like them all for the most part. And so it's nice to see them. We don't really see them bond uh, necessarily, but like, you know, they're hanging out together. It's not like a, it's not a transformative moment, I think, for any of their games. But I do really like all of them. This is where we get Marianne's Lady Gaga impression um, and clip clip package uh, talking about being uh, doing it for the weirdos. Marianne is, I will say she's very charismatic. And I've seen a lot of love for Marianne online. And don't get me wrong. I like her. I'm interested in watching her game. She's Canadian. So uh, she might be my winner pick. We'll see. Um, But (laughs) <laughs> this is going to make me sound so curmudgeonly, but if I had to be around Marianne 24 hours a day, I don't think I could do it. It's just, it's, it's so positive. It's like, and it's so over the top and it's so larger than life 
that I'm like, I, I find that kind of a personality a little grating, to be honest. And it's probably because I am a curmudgeon. Like I, I should just accept that, but, um, it comes across very well on TV, but I, I, putting myself in the shoes of her tribe mates, especially like when Jackson exited and, and Marianne's just wailing. I was like, this is, this is moment isn't about you right now, Marianne. Do you yeah, have any thoughts I mean, on Marianne? I, I was not as charmed by her as the show wanted me to be by her. I think that moment of like her explaining or attempting to explain the triangles was that moment of like, the show thinks it's got like a really fun moment of like uh, a fun confessional that it just doesn't have. I understand everything you're saying. I think too, I get the sense that Marianne's the kind of person that Survivor looks at and they're like, this is exactly the kind of player that we want. Like they were like, she is just charisma for days. But I think that you need a little bit more gradient on her. It's like, so I, I, which we did see, like when Jackson left, she was in tears. Oh my God, it was like a family member had passed. Um, But with Marianne, I guess I'm curious to see like a more chilled out version of her because I definitely got the sense that Mm. she's experiencing like those first day of class like jitters. and, And the way that that's coming through with her is just like, pure adrenaline, excitement, energy. I'm curious to see, like, she seems to be, like, at an 11, and I'm curious to see, like, what Marianne's like at a five. That's something I really am curious about. I'm not immediately endeared or put off by her, but I was struck by the fact of, like, I could see casting, like, the casting directors watching her tape, and I could see the immediate yes of Marianne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I shouldn't be so down on her. I think... If we get a more dynamic Marianne in the weeks to come, I think I'll be very endeared towards her because I think she is a great confessionalist. She's a very good narrator. She's very expressive. Um, I mean, yeah, we saw she was inconsolable when Jackson left. She was incredibly excited when the game started. And she's a really excellent speaker. So she's got a lot of potential. I just... I. I just need some hardships to hit her a little bit in the game because she's too excited for me at this moment. Um, and can I mention one other the, thing while we're talking yeah. about it real quick? Sorry, this just occurred to me though, because when we did the first, and I maybe I'm jumping ahead, but when we did the first boot, or excuse me, the first challenge, uh, Jeff mentioned the fact that it's day three. And I'm just wondering for a 26 day game, what was going on on day two? I just feel like so if I 26 think day days- two, Day two is Prisoner's Dilemma Island. That's a whole day? Wow. Yeah. I just mean, like, I just was surprised that it's like, we've got 26 days. We're waiting until day three to do our first big challenge. I just was like, we need to, like, get things moving. It is a long time, I will say. Time is of the essence. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so what happens on the Prisoner's Dilemma Island? Uh, They are faced with the choice of risking a vote or protecting a vote. And if you don't remember, that was that if all players choose to protect their vote, nothing changes. Um, If all players choose to risk their vote, then all players lose their vote at the next tribal that they attend. And if there is a split, then those who protect their vote, nothing changes for them. And those who risked their vote will earn an extra vote. Still, that's still a complicated scenario for me i i really had to like re-watch that scene to re- get my head wrapped back around the prisoner's dilemma um so that's the case 
Jenny chose to protect her vote, and Drea and Marianne chose to risk their votes. See, this is like just another count against Marianne, is that she said in this moment, a lot of Christians play this game and play it safe, and then after they say they wish they had taken more risks. I'm like, name one. I've never heard this right. before. right. If anything, we've seen all of the Christians that have played say, fuck my religion, I'm playing the game. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of a Christian who was like, you know, I really wish my Christianity had got, hadn't gotten in the way of my decision to like- It's like, a, just look at Brandon Hans and tell me that like being a Christian makes you some sort of ethical player in the game. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, as we said before, there is zero fallout from this visit to Prisoner's Dilemma Island. We get absolutely no reaction back at camp. I did uh, listen to an exit interview with Zach uh, that he did with Rob Sesternino, and he talked about how when Drea came back, they were all very suspicious of her because she said that they took them to an island, they hiked up a mountain and then hiked back down and there was nothing there and they were just sent back to their island. And Zach was like, <laughs> you're telling me CBS is going to fill a segment with hiking? I like, I don't think so. So they all very much suspect that Drea has something, but it's like, include that in the show. That's a yeah, terrible lie. And that's like, a, a, like actually, I think, Coming out of the edited episode that we saw, I thought Drea came out looking pretty darn good and yeah. having two advantages out of the first episode and sort of like being somebody that people want to work with, even if she's not the strongest on the strategy. I mean, like Romeo had to remind her that they were in an alliance with Roxroy. Um, but but like I thought she came off pretty well and like to see that well that would have like maybe changed my opinion a little bit or, right. or or just tinted it in a certain direction so it's a real shame that we got zero fallout from Prisoner's Dilemma I agree and the reason I think we don't get it is because then we immediately go to uh, jump to this Jackson elimination which we should probably get a little bit deeper into. So there's a very quick scene of Jackson talking to somebody and uh, he's dizzy or wobbly or something. There's like a throwaway comment. And then we immediately see Jeff riding up to the beach on his boat and go into camp. And he says he needs to have a conversation with Jackson privately. And then we get this conversation between Jackson and Jeff, where Jeff's sort of like talking in very veiled terms about how Jackson neglected to disclose a medication he was on until the day before filming. And uh, Jackson is the one who volunteers the information that that medication was lithium and that he started taking it while uh, caring for his ill mother uh, years ago and has been trying to wean himself off of it and thought that he could get off of it before filming, but then couldn't. Um, so th the whole conversation is very confusing. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the decision making process was to put Jackson on. I mean, the, so, so basically what Jeff says is that they, they learned about it the day before filming and they said, okay, like, let's see how he does. And then I'm guessing because they don't say anything specific to, to read into that scene of him saying that he was dizzy and wobbly, that 
he was having some kind of withdrawal symptom. It's not even clear whether he's still taking it or not in the game. Uh, because I don't know if the the issues that he's having are because of withdrawal from the medication or because the way the medication is interacting with his lack of sleep and dehydration and lack of food. Like that's not even clear to me. And maybe I missed it, but the whole conversation is so confusing. But of course ends with Jackson being pulled from the game. Evan, do you have any way to make sense of this? No. And I, I really, I don't have too many thoughts about it because I just don't understand. And you and I were texting last night and and you sent me this parade article because he gave an interview with Mike Bloom for Parade um, in which he sort of got into more detail about it. And I finished that article and felt only more confused. And I feel like the more I try and make sense of this, just the more the web gets even more tangled for me. I don't understand why they let the alternate go home, why they, I, 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 it's just, it's a real bummer in many senses. I'm also curious, had Jackson's tribe lost the challenge and gone to tribal, they would have been in a six, six, four position with the tribes. And like, that would have really fucked things up as far as having to have mm-hmm. then four players sitting out of challenges because of Jackson's exit. Um, and I really do feel like this this tampers the season in a way in terms of there's always going to be that question of either what if Jackson hadn't gone home or what if somebody else had been there? How might you know everything have shaken out? It's just a bummer to have that happen from the outset and then to feel like it could have been avoided. And then I also just have questions around why this wasn't able to be this information wasn't able to be figured out sooner or is is the, the medical check is is that sort of procedure it's all sort of just like you go by whatever the contestant says i just have questions about that like aren't there the, the tests and yeah. things run that would indicate whether or not someone is using i mean i think about the olympics for instance in which it's like you test to see if people are on dopamine and then one other thing i'll add and again i i recognize there's some sensitivities around this conversation but I guess what I am left confused by is this sort of framing within the show of him being destigmatizing drug use in some way. And it's like, I don't have enough clarity on the situation to understand what, what they felt they were destigmatizing within the conversation here. And I feel like by not making the story clearer and leaving more questions, it actually like did nothing to destigmatize because I don't understand what we are destigmatizing because um, I don't understand what his addiction was and I don't understand whether or not he was addicted, whether or not it was prescribed medication that he then became addicted to. Like I just don't have answers here. And so I thought the framing of it as being sort of like a heroic move versus him really fucking up the season with his selfishness, which is again, how I see it. I know others will see it differently. I was confused by the shows uh, giving him such a, a glory edit as opposed to like, you know, conveying it as it was, which was that he lied to production and tampered with the season as a result. That's how I see it. So wow, for someone that I, said they have very little to say, I sure had a lot. Sorry, go ahead. I don't have any idea that he's addicted to lithium. I believe that he was... The, the way that I'm understanding this is that he was prescribed lithium and has continued to take it uh, for reasons that are not clear because, uh, you know, what they said on the show is that it's because he couldn't sleep. I don't think that lithium is commonly prescribed for as a sleeping aid. Um, but I'm not going to speculate about like what, what Jackson's, uh, medical 
history is, but I, like my understanding was that he was taking it as a prescribed drug and that uh, he had made a decision to wean himself off of it because he felt that he no longer needed it, but that that didn't happen quickly enough for survivor filming. And what's still left unclear to me is like whether he's even still taking it in the game or just not. And what, what, what was the reason that production decided that now is the time to remove him because all we got that was that he was wobbly. He said in his exit press that he had only drank half a canteen of water uh, because he lost track of his water drinking uh, in the two days and that um, that he had like had a close call with like not passing out, but it seems like almost passing out in the night, the night, the night before Jeff came to the beach. So, even that's unclear. Like I still did, like at what point did medical make this call and based on what information it's just, um, it's all very confusing. And, and also from his exit press, I think they said that the alternates were sent home the day before Jackson disclosed the information. So that's why there wasn't an alternate to put in. And so alternate sent home on this day and then the next day Jackson discloses and then the next day is filming. Um, so yeah, it, it like, it comes off to me. I have to agree with you as Jackson cheating the casting process. And I think that's kind of fucked up. Um, and I agree that like, I don't know what we're destigmatizing because I don't know what we're talking about. So uh, there may be something to dis- destigmatize here and I'm not going to speculate on what it is, but I don't think think that that was actually shown I, it feels like a lot of the story has been cut out i don't know whether that's uh, under jackson's wishes or cbs's wishes but uh, a lot of unanswered questions here that i suspect we're never going to get answers to he's doing limited exit press which leads you to believe that there is more to the story because it makes you think okay well cbs is limiting who he talks to yeah. and says things which yeah so it just the whole thing is just super sauce yeah Oh, we do have a voice memo about this that I'll play. I think we've kind of already answered it, but it's going to lead us. uh, It'll segue into our next topic as well. This is from uh, Friends of the Pod, Stephen Dunn uh, and Ricard Foyer, who watched together uh, and sent us this voice memo. Hi, Sean and Evan. This is Stephen Dunn. And Ricard Foyer. And we are here on uh, in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Um, and we just watched the, we're a little drunk and, uh, we just watched, uh, the premiere. Yes. And it was great and so fun to watch. The chemistry was unbelievable with the cast. Yeah, truly. Um, but we have a kind of, we have a question about one of the cast members, one of the castaways and their journey on this show. What are your thoughts? Okay. So Jackson, this random elimination we obviously know that Jeff was aware of this medical situation in advance, but we are wondering why they let Jackson go onto the show and then two days later, without any sort of motivation, uh, cut them from going any further. And we're wondering, did they do this intentionally just to get Jackson on screen to tell their story? Um, and then let them go like it just it doesn't make any sense it feels super weird yes and then also we would love your thoughts on the immunity idol yeah. and if it looks like anything in particular it's Thanks. hot <laughs> it's hot 
Bye. Okay. Uh, I think we kind of addressed all the Jackson stuff. The, the question of like whether, I, I think I got to this in the beginning of the episode, whether it was exploitative of the show to put him on knowing that he was probably going to have this medical issue just to tell his story. I think that's up in the air. I don't know what the answer is on that. Like it's I'm totally possible. Yes. I wouldn't put it past yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, I do recognize that they were in a tricky position though because if you, in theory, my my first thought was, well, if you're down from 18 to 17, you just cut someone else and then do a standard 16 season. But because of the three tribe split and ostensibly having the whole season designed as the three tribe split, that causes even mm. more headaches. And then they're also dealing with COVID protocols, which makes like flying someone out last minute tricky. But what I don't understand, and again, this speaks to my lack of understanding about production. To me, it's like you delay production a day or two and get that alternate back on a plane and out there. I understand that that probably was not possible given the restraints around COVID that seems to have been the reason why the season itself was reduced from 39 days to 26. But to me, this is reason enough to delay the start of production in order to get your 18th player there, especially when you have someone in theory who has been vetted and the only issue is that they're not on the island. So it's like, turn that plane around and get them back on the island. But yes, I feel like for them to have to not include Jackson at all and explain away the exit from the outset, to I think they view that as more of an impediment on the season than doing it the way that they did it. Again, just just messy, 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 messy. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, well, they brought up the immunity idol, so maybe we should go to the immunity challenge where Jeff reveals, I believe, the first auto fellatio immunity idol in survivor history it is a snake eating its own ass essentially and uh i kind of appreciate the design of the immunity idol i don't know if you have any thoughts about it it's not much to I don't say remember it to be honest i'm sorry oh my god really yeah I didn't it's catch literally that. doing a self suck okay uh <laughs> so jeff reintroduces the shot in the dark uh the, in a totally dubbed over scene jeff's voice is coming from a studio 100 percent uh not, not a lot of questions asked from the contestants about the shot in the dark and how it works but okay because we've lost Jackson, two tribes have to sit somebody out. So we're running this challenge, which clearly is designed for six people as a five-person challenge, which makes it a bit of a mess. Uh, Taku has a big advantage having one of the strongest, uh, probably the strongest contestant in the entire game with Jonathan, who winds up just dragging the boat around because nobody can paddle. Um as I mentioned before, Daniel is clutching his shoulder through the whole challenge. So uh, I think we may see more from this injury to come. Uh, but essentially what ends up happening is that Jenny uh, emerges once again as the puzzle queen for Vati winning uh, and Marianne and Omer also win for Taku. Marianne and Omer, uh, two Canadians working together here. Uh, this is our most Canadian cast yet, so I just wanted to point that out. And Ika is in dead last with Zach on the puzzle, who uh, 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 they end up losing, and they are going to tribal. I do just want to point out, we got yet another instance of Jeff calling this the most difficult challenge that has ever been done on the show. And I have to laugh at this point, but it's just these 
superlatives and the whimsy with which he offers them up it is just mind-blowing. This is not a difficult challenge whatsoever. It just requires a lot of strength, but that strength is just you're able to take breaks between every push. So think of all the challenges in which there's like intense like uh, physicality that is unwavering. Like you have to hold something up or or balance or whatnot in which you do not get a break. I have no doubt this is a challenge. This is a challenging challenge. Like that's not up for debate here. But that framework, I mean, I all I go back to is I think about the um, uh, Guatemala and that giant ball, that boulder that was rolling on top of people. And I'm just like, and that's just one example are all the sumo wrestling challenges that have been done. I mean, like this is not, a difficult challenge by any measure, let alone the or all the endurance challenges. I mean, like, Hello. look at that final three endurance challenge in Thailand where they had Thailand, to like yes, yes, uh, statues, oh pose, which they could barely even hold. Like, maybe it lasted less time, but it was grueling. I think you could easily yeah. say that that was grueling. Yeah, um, yeah, this was this was grueling because they cast <laughs> the least physically fit cast that they've ever cast. So, uh, that. I think that's why it was grueling. We've also run this exact challenge before. Yes. Yeah, so even 100%. that saying it's the most difficult, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, again, it's just, it's an. It's basically the same challenge they ran earlier in the episode. It's like going and like go, taking your boat out in with the exact same, exact same boats. Taking exactly. your oars out, collecting stuff, coming back, and like, but it's kind of like something. at this point, like if you associate with crazy, you start to become crazy, and it's like if I have to keep calling out my <laughs> frustration over Jeff framing these things as the most difficult, I yeah. become as crazy as Jeff and Jeff's face. So I, at this point, I sort of just like, okay, I'm, I'm no, I'm putting a, a pin in it, I'm noting it, but like, it is what it is. Yeah. Okay, let's run down some of the strategy going on at the Ica Beach before Tribal Council. It's it's essentially a showdown between Zach and Tori. Tori immediately announces to everyone that she doesn't have an idol because there's still, still suspicion surrounding her from her idol hunting while she was uh, harvesting taro root. And Drea's original target is Roxroy, as I said before. Romeo basically has to say, like, no, don't you remember? We made an alliance with him on day one. And so Romeo just tells Drea to vote for Tori. So Romeo's actually targeting Tori here, which I think is interesting because Romeo has this connection with uh, Zach, the, the Twink Alliance, as I called it. So it's in his interest to keep Zach around as, like, kind of a backup number to his, uh, what seems like his main alliance with Drea and Roxroy. Roy. Swathi is worried that she could have a target on her back because she was doing the puzzle with Zach. Uh, so she's quickly kind of like throwing Zach under the bus to Roxroy, and he's very much on board with that. And uh, yeah, I think that it's kind of a, a straightforward decision, but I'm not sure that we ever really get an explanation at the camp as to why it ends up being Zach and not Tori, because as we're shown, um, basically the majority alliance is ready to vote for Tori. That being, um, that being Romeo, Drea, and then Zach is ready. So that's three. Presumably Romeo and Drea could have gone to their ally, Roxroy, and been like, it's Tori, but something happened here. I have to think that this was Swathi's doing actually to oh, really? put the vote on Zach because yeah, because that's the only person we see really. I mean, like we see Tori uh, pitch Zach, I, I 
guess it's actually not but my impression was that roxroy made the comment being like that he wanted tori and then my feeling was in watching that scene between drea and tori when tori took drea off one-on-one and sort of explained Mm -hmm. from her perspective how she saw things my my read of that scene was that drea in that moment realized that she was sort of like being not bamboozled but that like I, i could see a genuineness in that conversation that made me think oh drea's reconsidering and drea's gonna team up and i and roxway mm-hmm. obviously wants strength i think roxway was able to convince drea tori is stronger than zach that was my my read was sort of that i think it okay. was multiple forces that were just kind of like yeah this makes sense yeah, to have it be, be zach also, you could easily just say it's like Zach's nerdy, and I know these people early on in the game can sometimes worry about a nerd and their ability to sort of like, you know, pull a Kenny in Gabon and kind of mastermind things. And so I think that there might have just been the worry that like Tori's more uh, strength, but not strategy, which is what you need at this juncture of the game. And so I think the Zach vote makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was stuck on the Swathi thing because I thought it was interesting that Swathi was talking to Roxroy because, of course, Swathi's like one of the young kids that Roxroy doesn't seem to really respect that much. But maybe she differentiates herself from somebody like Zach because she, you know, she has this thing where she's in the National Guard. Like she's 20, but she's in the army. So like I could see Roxroy sort of like respecting her a little bit more and that she's the one who sort of like first pitches to Roxroy that that she would be happy to vote for Zach and presumably Roxroy goes okay this is great because they're both the young kids which he like at least we're, we're seeing this this sort of fake divide between the young and the old on this tribe that Roxroy could be like okay well this is good for me because now the the kids are going against each other and if i have to choose between the two of them i'm happy to uh to send Zach home which I just think that like if if there's anything to this relationship between Swathi and Roxroy, that can be interesting to watch uh, vis-a-vis Drea and Romeo with Roxroy sort of in the middle because he's in that Drea and Romeo alliance and then he, he can pull in Swathi, but would be interesting to see where he lands in the future when uh, if Tori goes home at some point. Uh, unless, right. as you say, she's able to squeak through and become kind of a goat. So, okay, well then let's go to tribal. Uh, we are essentially back at the exact same tribal council set as Survivor 41, which is kind of disappointing. I mean, to be honest, like all the sets since like 36 have looked the same to me, but uh, they could have like switched things up a little bit. Um, nothing new, nothing changed, same old shit. Romeo <laughs> suggests that if you feel desperate, you should play your shot in the dark. And like, I think there, I think Romeo has a distinct interest in Zach playing his shot in the dark because I don't think Romeo loses either. Zach goes home, which all of his allies want, um, or Zach plays his shot in the dark. He's safe. They revote. Presumably, Tori goes home on the revote, and and Romeo still has his twink ally in the game so I, I thought that was interesting that he kind of like put i don't know that he was putting it out there to be like zach play your shot in the dark but i just thought it was like an interesting comment considering romeo's place in the game uh of course zach does play his shot in the dark first vote first uh first vote of season 42 is a shot in the dark uh but unfortunately it's chocolate he's not safe my god my boyfriend billy said the exact same thing <laughs> 
<laughs> Zach becomes the first person in Survivor history, I believe, to be unanimously voted out because even he was not able to cast a vote. So every single vote cast at that tribal was for Zach. Uh, so gone, soon to be forgotten. I'm sorry, Zach. Bye. Any thoughts on our first boot? No. I mean, uh, memorable by the bar of, of first eliminated players, but that's a low bar, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. He's no chicken. Well, we have, yeah, we have one more voicemail, uh, which is a little bit more general, so I will play that now. Hey, Sean and Evan, this is Brendan in Mexico City. Love the premiere. Something I couldn't help but notice was that this seems like it might be the least athletic cast we've ever had on Survivor, and I'm I'm kind of here for it. Um, would you agree with that assessment? And do you think someone like Jonathan or maybe Drea are going to have a really hard time come merge if they make it that far? Thanks, guys. I guess yes, but what, what hearing this, yeah, I mean, yeah, like yes, I that definitely tracks, but it's just not something. I mean, I'm I'm trying to cycle through all the various casts. I feel like there have been other not like I'm thinking about Philippines comes to mind. Like I, I think that there have been distinctly unathletic casts before. I don't. I this could perhaps be the most, but I will not say like the unathleticism of this cast did not stand out for me because I think we've had cast or even going back to Borneo as a great example. I don't think athleticism has always been a, a marker of uh, of the cast. Thailand, another one that's coming to mind. Like, so yes, they were unathletic, but I, I don't think that's like a, a, a significant outlier amongst the cast of the show. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I did definitely notice that it was a I'm not, I don't want to call them unathletic. It's just not as athletic as it typically is. I think usually survivor casts, especially in the modern era, tend towards um, disproportionate athleticism compared to the real world if we're like actually taking this as a microcosm. And so this to me feels a lot more realistic in that there's really only one really athletic person on each tribe or like, or like visually clearly athletic, like big, strong, uh, muscly person. And even in the whole season, I think Jonathan really stands out as that person. Uh, I was ready to hate Jonathan coming into this just based on his appearance alone. <laughs> um, but I actually don't mind him. And maybe it's because I haven't seen that much of him, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm finding him to be not a terrible person. Uh, which will be interesting to keep an eye on. I don't know that they are going to be able to eliminate these people pre-merge because I think that like, given the scarcity of athletic people on the season, I think once you eliminate the one, you know, your one big asset on your tribe pre-merge, you really risk being at a disadvantage in all of the challenges moving forward. So I think it's going to be somewhat easy for them to get to the merge and they could be easy targets after. I think it's going to depend on what they're able to pull socially pre-merge. Okay. This has been a long episode, but Evan, I do want to ask for a winner pick at this point. It's right. Time to lock um, it in. I, I don't have the cast list in front of me, but the woman who helped solve the triangles and the puzzle in the challenge. And I apologize. Jenny. Jenny. I'm putting my winner pick as Jenny. 
That's a good one. I seriously consider Jenny as a winner pick, but, and then I, okay. How did I walk through this? I really considered Drea um, because I wanted to pick a Canadian, but I also wanted to pick a black woman because I strongly believe that a black woman could finally win this game again. And then I found out that Drea is not Canadian. She just lives in Montreal. <laughs> so that was a knock against her. So you know what? I'm going to go with Marianne, uh, who is from Ajax, Ontario, not far from me. And I didn't pick the Canadian last season. I obviously regret that now. So I'm not going to repeat the same mistakes uh, Um they may be repeating the entire season, but I'm not going to repeat my mistakes. I've learned from my mistakes. So I'm going to go with Marianne. I, I do think that if she has an opportunity to sort of like grow personally and and uh, sort of like find a place in this game, I think she could do very well. It seems like she knows the game pretty well. Uh, I just hope that my concern is that she really wears her heart on her sleeve, and I'm not sure how good of a liar she's going to be. But I'm I do think CBS would love a Marianne winner, and I also think notably they have not had a charismatic winner in quite some time. And I think Marianne would just be like True. very pleasant in interviews, and like would would be able to like uh, carry the torch of Survivor in a way that I think that they're looking for that sort of like Sandra-esque winner who just like sort of has that magnetism that I definitely think Marianne has. One other thing I wanted to mention just before we go is I think it's interesting to wonder whether or not conversations around race will play out on this season, being that for all intents and purposes, this cast is the first of its kind from their perspective. They do not know about season 41. They have not watched season 41. So the CBS mandate that went into place prior to season 41, they're experiencing that that new element of the mandate in the same way. And much as race became a specific uh, topic amongst the season 41 cast and, and the narrative of the season, I'm just curious if there are going to be any of those conversations. Um, for instance, when Drea was first uh, wanting to put up Rock, sorry, Rockstore, what's his name? Roxroy? Roxroy. Like my immediate thought was like, wow, I'm surprised to see a black woman in t a black woman targeting a black man when there are two other white people on the line. Um, and so I'm just interested to see if like those conversations come up at all, if we're going to see any POC alliances come about, or even just conversations about, as you say, for instance, we have not had a black winner since black female winner, excuse me, since season four. There are a number of first time winners that are possible out there, or just a lack of POC winners in general. I'm just curious to see if those conversations will at all happen. Yeah, I th I suspect that they are going to happen. I would be surprised if they didn't. I think that's part of uh, the whole social experiment uh, of the game. And I think that once you actually cast equitably, I think you could debate whether this is equitable casting or not. But once you cast equitably, I think the conversations uh, are bound to follow. And I'm looking forward to how it plays out vis-a-vis uh, -vis 41, uh, which you know was it was an interesting story of the Black Alliance, but obviously was not able to sort of like take that to the end. Um, so and I'm very curious to see how it's going to play out. And one other thing that I want to just say, like, as we start to look towards the casting of 43, 44, et cetera, I just think that it's notable that, like, people of various abilities are not represented at all in this cast. This is a fully, like, a cast without any sort of uh, uh, disabilities or anything. You well, know, Dre so Drea. Oh, go ahead. 
Drea said in that intro it, when she was first introduced as they were bringing the boats in, which was news to me, uh, she said that she's half blind. Oh, okay. Did you catch Fair that? Enough. That she I did not catch that, that she used to run track or whatever half blind. I just wish there was more attention given to people of varying abilities. And then outside of that, I just hope that this is an, is an incentive for the show to cast more trans contestants on the show. I feel like the fact that mm -hmm. we're in season 42 and we've only had two, that number is just embarrassing, I think, quite frankly. And I hope that uh, Jackson is not sort of like them thinking, okay, well, we cast another trans person in season 42. We're good because you're not good. You have to continue. So I hope these efforts towards diversity as we move beyond just racial diversity and start to think about diversity in many other senses of the word, I hope there's some mindfulness around who is cast on this show. I mean, also not for nothing, just like I miss really old people being on this show. Like the fact that the 57 year old is considered the old guy. I mean, back in the day, mm -hmm. like he would have been young and spry. So I just think that I, as, as, as many inroads as we've made, there are more to come. And I think we, we've said this before, but I just hope they continue to make more. Okay. Well, with that, let's wrap it up. We have hit the two-hour mark, so hello, <laughs> that's enough. Uh, drop the four, keep the two-hour recap. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss our recap next week. Of course, if you've been following along on Australian Survivor, Ricard and I have been recapping that. Uh, that comes out on Mondays or Tuesdays usually, so that will be uh, continuing on for at least the next couple of weeks while that season wraps up it's been a fun season and of course we will have more uh, interviews and various deep dives to come we got some great suggestions on deep dives to do after our last one on our second chance to fantasy casting so uh, we look forward to diving more into survivors past and sharing all of our dumb thoughts with you so with that if you liked this rate and review Make sure to share it, tell your friends about it, and we will be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.